when we pulled up to the gate, we told all of our kids to be on their absolute best behavior. You've been in this situation before. No nonsense. Keep it down. Keep it quiet. Act like you love each other. That type of thing. We weren't sure what the security measures might be. We weren't sure whether or not they were allowing civilians to come onto the base or not, especially if they came unannounced. We were in Beaufort, South Carolina at the front gate of the Paris Island Marine Corps Boot Camp Training Center, the Marine Corps Recruit Depot. They let us on. My plan was to be able to show the kids where I had gone through basic training, where I had spent three months there going through my basic training, and then after leaving and going to my uh, Marine Combat Training School and then going to the Armed Forces School of Music, I got stationed back at that same base in Paris Island, South Carolina, for the final three years of my enlistment as permanent duty personnel. So when we pulled up to the gate, I was a little bit uh, nervous about what to expect. I have clearly let my hair grow out a little bit since those days. I wasn't sure what they might say or what they might do. When he asked me, where are you headed today? I told him I was stationed here years ago and I wanted to show my family and drive around where I used to live. He asked me for a veteran's ID. The last day that you are in the military, they tell you absolutely have to have a veteran's ID or you will not be able to do anything after you get out. I do not have a veteran's ID. But I did bring with me my active duty ID from years ago. And so I said, I don't have my veteran's ID, but I do have this. And I showed it to him and he looked at it and he said, oh, oh, you were here a long time ago. (laughs) And it was at that point I realized I've become an old, old man. See, the date on my ID is 2003. July of 2003 was the day that I got out. That doesn't seem too long ago to me, but I realize now as I stand and as I say it to you, this Marine who's actively defending his country, standing at the gate, making sure that no nonsense happens while he's on his watch, was not even born yet when I left that base. They ran our license. They ran our registration. They made our whole family get out and stand in the grass while they went through our vehicle to make sure that we weren't bringing anything onto the base we weren't supposed to. I was told very sternly that I was not allowed to go wherever I pleased on the base, but I was allowed to go to the visitor center and a few other places that were approved. And so for the next hour or so, we drove around the base, and my kids peppered me with questions, and we drove to those approved locations, and I told them what I had experienced at each of those spots, and my wife and I took this lap down memory lane. And as we go through this, we realize, I'm realizing as I'm telling these stories to my kids, that a lot had happened to me here. A lot had changed in my life while I was here in a very short amount of time. The identity of who I was in July of 1999 when I stepped onto those yellow footprints was different than July of 2003 when I drove away from the base. I had become something new. Today's sermon title is called this, A New Identity. And it's the first sermon in a week of uh, a sermon series that we're going to be going through the book of Ephesians. And this sermon series is called All Things New. 
My name is Pastor Milo. If you're here for the first time this morning, it's great to have you. It's Easter Sunday. You're here, and we're so grateful that you're here. If you're watching online, we're so glad to have you online. The transformation I'm talking about in my own life is really nothing more, and many of you have similar stories, than this kind of coming-of-age story. I'd arrived at Paris Island Marine Corps boot camp at 17, three weeks after I graduated from Pioneer Central High School in Yorkshire, New York, and I had walked across the stage and graduated as Nate Wilson. That's my first name. That's my given name. I had every intention of returning to that rural community there in Delavan Arcade. I expected to come back to take over the family farm and be there for the rest of my life. But instead, I left Paris Island four years later as Sergeant Milo Wilson, which is my middle name, my great-grandfather's name. I was now married. My beautiful wife had taken all of her earnings for her first two years of teaching and paid off her entire school loan bill. And in doing so, that meant that we were able to get a house. And we had a, a brand new, brand spanking new house built for us that we had designed. We had done all of that stuff, complete with accesses to bike paths and those type of things and this beautiful community pool. And they expected you, in order to be there, to pay your mortgage every month. I'd volunteered as a youth leader in the local church, a little Baptist church that was there, a music leader, those four years that I had been in the military and volunteered in that role. And now I was getting out and pursuing this vocational call to ministry. And as I'm explaining this and telling my kids all of this, as they're asking all of these questions, it became clear to me that this town, this place, this location, something special had happened. And as our kids were asking these questions, they were starting to think about where they might end up someday, what little town might change their lives as well, what they might become someday. It was clear that a lot had changed, a lot had happened here. But what I want to share with you this morning, as you might expect, is a lot bigger than just a coming-of-age story. If what I have to share with you this morning is a lot more than just some type of motivational target out there, a goal of how you can set your life in motion and put things in order so that you can accomplish your goals in life and be who you want to be. We live in a culture that constantly tells us that your identity and my identity is found in what you have done, what job you have, or what career you are working towards, or how you have succeeded in that career, or how you have failed in that same career. This, however, is not God's desire for our lives. What I want to share with you this morning in simple terms is the gospel. The gospel says the identity that we have and the identity we need is one that cannot be given or taken away because of the circumstances of where we're located or what has happened to us. Whether in the future or if we're looking at our failures from the past. The identity that we need, the identity that you need is found only in Christ. It's Easter Sunday, church. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen he is risen. If you've got your Bibles, will you turn over to the Gospel of Luke? We're going to read Luke's account of that Easter Sunday 
morning. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Hmm. He is risen indeed. There's a lot of pressure when you're preparing a talk, preparing a message, preparing a sermon with a text like this or a day like this. I'm talking about Christmas Day or Easter Sunday. There's something about looking at a familiar text, looking at what's in front of it, and somehow assuming that what I need to bring to you this morning needs to be interesting, exciting, that I need to somehow spice things up a little bit so that you would be able to remember it. How foolish is that? How absurd is it really that I would think that I would be able to spice up the most miraculous event in all of history? How crazy is it to think that on Easter Sunday morning, that retelling the story, the story of these women coming to the tomb, and the tomb is empty, and the ones who tell them that it's empty and tell them that he is alive are literally have lightning shooting off of them, that I need to spice that up somehow. Why look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Drop the mic. This moment detonates into history and nothing in the world will ever be the same. Why seek the living among the dead? Jesus is alive. He's made all things new. The women who were there, the disciples that would follow in the hours after, even us as readers, as we look 2,000 years later at this text, we're all left. I'm left a little bit breathless this morning. Wait a minute. What just happened? Easter Sunday morning, resurrection morning solidifies the identity of Jesus Christ of Nazareth himself. Jesus goes from being a respected teacher, a respected leader, and a gifted healer. Jesus goes from being known as a miracle worker and even a credible prophet. Jesus Christ goes from being the presumed son of a carpenter to being revealed as the son of God. This is what happens here. I don't have to spice this up. I don't have to stir the pot. I don't have to light this text on fire for you to be able to see it. It's right here. It's been right in front of you all along. His name is Jesus. And Jesus is exactly who he said he is. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is Emmanuel, God with us. 
Verse 6 says, He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be what? Delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day rise again. And then they remembered his words. Friends, if you leave here this morning and you don't remember anything I say or any of the silly stories, don't worry about it. You don't have to remember my words, but will you remember his words? The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I have come so that you may have what? Life and have it to the full. Jesus is alive. And not only is Jesus alive, he offers you a full life as well. Which leads us to the book of Ephesians. So if you're there in Luke, take a right. Head over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter one. And for the sake of time, we're going to be in this book for a number of weeks, and we'll have to dive in. I'll have to give you a bigger background on what's happening in this book, give you a bigger introduction later. But in the small version is that this letter is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the church that's located in the city of Ephesus. For our purposes here today, we're going to look at the first 14 verses. We're going to try to answer this question as we look through Ephesians that the first century Christians were trying to figure out. As they were thinking about Christ, as they were breathlessly trying to answer, as they are looking into the empty tomb that morning, they're asking this question, what just happened? And the Apostle Paul is going to walk us through that. Because of Easter, because of the resurrection, you have a new identity. Paul introduces himself in the first two verses in the formal letters of the day that they actually would sign and write their name at the top of the letter. We write a letter now, if any of you still write letters. If you write a letter now, you sign your name at the bottom of the letter. That's how we uh, interact and write letters back and forth. But in their time, in their culture, they would write their name at the top of the letter so they knew who it was from. And because of the work of God in his life, Paul's message, Paul's letter, Paul's writing of this book, he wants to speak, he says, with Christ's authority by the decree of God. That this book is not simply the words of a man, the letter of a man, but no, this is the words of God. He says, I have the authority of God behind this for the sole purpose of being able to talk to you about him. Now Paul, whose name was formerly Saul had lived a life where his sole purpose in life, his focus, his goal, all of his attention was at going after Christians. And he wanted to imprison them and he wanted to execute them and put them to death because of this heresy that he felt like they were teaching, that Jesus actually was the Messiah. But something changed. Something happened in him and now he has a new identity. He is no longer Saul, the Christian killer. He has a new identity. He is Paul, the apostle. That word means the sent one. Paul, the apostle, and he's apostle, he says, of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Paul, 
an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in the city of Ephesus, the faithful who are in who? Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Easter, friends, you have a new identity. After he signs his name at the top of the letter, what follows in verses 3 through 14 in the original language is one continuous run-on sentence, which is why it's kind of hard to track. Even the numbers as to what verse is what, those things are hard to follow because it's all this one huge statement. He doesn't even stop. In these first verses, he just hammers it out, one thing after another. And you notice the phrase, in Christ and in Him, and through Him. He uses this ten times in this first section. He also uses this phrase 40 times in the book of Ephesians. As this letter he is writing, he wants them to know, wants them to hear that they have a new identity, and it is in Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, your identity is no longer in what you have done. Your identity is no longer in what you have accomplished or what career you are hoping to strive after and whether you have succeeded or whether you have failed in that career. If you believe in Jesus, if you have asked him into your heart as your Lord and as your Savior, your identity is in Christ. We talk often here about the relationships that matter the most. We talk about them in three ways. We say that we want you to know and learn three relationships. First and foremost, your upward relationship, what? In Christ. And we say we want you to know your inward relationship with one another in the church. We want you to know where you find your place in the outward relationship out in the community, but you must start. You must begin. You cannot miss. And the Apostle Paul is opening his letter and he's making sure they do not miss. You must find a relationship in Christ. It's Easter, it's Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And we are left breathless. What just happened? Jesus makes all things new. If you are in Christ, you have a new relationship. You have been found upward in Christ. Because of the resurrection, because of Easter, you have a new identity. How? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at this passage. I'm going to give you an acronym because sometimes people like that. If you don't like it, fine first letter is E. The resurrection was an exact plan. E, the resurrection was an exact plan, beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. E, the resurrection was an exact plan. From the foundation of the world, God set his plan in motion and he included us. Paul tells us he, he chose us in him. This means that we are handpicked to be his people. That God took the initiative 
that he took the initiative to make all of what was going to happen and all of this was going to come into fruition. He chose us, and he chose us, he says here, in him. That means before the world was spoke into existence, before the animals were named, before the trees, before the plants were created, before the galaxies were thrown and flung into orbit, before any of this, God knew Just as the Gospels remind us, God knew all along that the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. God knew it. And this day, This Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday was the exact day, the exact moment in time, the exact way, the exact plan to bring all things to bear, to make all things new. And just like God picked this day at this time, handpicked it of all the days that he could have chosen. And just like God picked this historical moment, he handpicked it that it would be under Roman rule of all the dynasties that he could have chosen from. God handpicked the Romans and he handpicked the Roman execution called crucifixion as the exact method. And he handpicked the tomb as the exact place of all the places that he had chosen. Just like that, God handpicked this spot handpicked the sunrise that morning, what the sky looked like. He picked all of those things for those first century believers, followers of Christ, disciples in the way to come and find an empty tomb. Just like that, Paul says, God handpicked you to be given an opportunity to find a new identity in Christ. The resurrection was an exact plan. E, the resurrection was an exact plan. A, the resurrection was an adoption story. Verse 5, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise and glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. A, the resurrection was an adoption story. We have some friends who have adopted a child from the Philippines. We walked with them through the entire process from early on in the process. I often get together with Matt, and when I meet with him and and talk with him about how things are going, what is it like to bring up a child in your home, how does he mesh, how how do things go, how is he fitting in, what are the unique struggles of having a child in your home who didn't start there in your home. And there's many of you in this room who have walked this journey. You know what this is like. He's got three other children, and, and they've been part of their family now. This son has been part of their family now for more than five years, but there are hurdles that pop up occasionally. There are issues that come up, and they'll catch him off guard, so they have to work through some of those things at different times. But Matt often reminds me, as we talk through and wrestle through some of these things, the questions that he and his wife were asked during the screening process all those years ago when they decided that they were going to adopt a child. 
Questions that seemed absolutely crazy at the time. What countries are you willing to adopt a child from? Under what circumstances would you be willing to adopt a child? Under what circumstances would you not be willing to adopt a child? What qualities are you looking for in a child? What would you hope them be able to do from an educational standpoint? Do they need to be good in school? Are there any situations, including medical or emotional, that would keep you from finalizing this adoption? If the child was missing a limb, would you still adopt them? If the child was missing two limbs, would you still adopt them? They even were asked, if the child was missing three limbs, would you still adopt them? Would you still take them? Matt says that was a gut check for him before he even got started, that he knew what it was he was getting into. Being brought into God's family, being adopted by God is not by our own work, but it's by God's grace, freely bestowed, unmerited by us, through His pleasure, it says, and through His will. This is God's exact plan from the beginning, so that we may be called the children of God. E, the resurrection was an exact plan. The resurrection was an adoption story. S, the resurrection was a sacrificial payment. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness and sins according to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. S, the resurrection was a sacrificial payment. God's plan includes people from all different races, all different backgrounds, not just the Jewish people that were part of his tribe. So this became a costly endeavor. In Christ, both the Jew and the Gentile, which is, by the way, all the people who are not Jewish descent, so anyone who is in this room that was not raised uh, as a Jew in Israel, this covers you as well, they are all included here in God's family, fully adopted as part of God's plan, which was conceived, he tells us, before time even began, put in motion before the earth was put in motion through the counsel of his own will. So if God is going to offer redemption and going to offer payment for the wrongs and for the sins of every human being who ever walked on the earth, redemption not just for those who like him or even for those who can simply tolerate him, but redemption for those who are adamantly opposed to him, who have declared themselves as enemies, as sworn enemies of Christ, the Son of God, those who literally put Jesus on the cross. God was going to offer redemption for them, and the payment for sin would need to be monumental. There's talk today about the different ways that we pay for things. And how much the cost is going up. Stop it. Christ was making payment for the sins of all mankind. For all of humankind. Jesus is described as a substitute. 
The Bible talks about him as the Lamb of God, making reference to the sacrificial system of the Old Testament where a spotless and a pure lamb was killed in the place of God's people. The blood of Christ, the perfect and spotless lamb, paid in full the atonement for our sins. The blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect and the spotless lamb at the cross, this sacrificial payment tore the veil in two. Then, resurrection morning, Christ breaks the bonds of death itself. Why seek ye the living among the dead, is what we're asked. He's not here. He is risen. He comes running out of the grave. E, the resurrection was an exact plan. A, the resurrection was an adoption story. S, the resurrection was a sacrificial payment. T, the resurrection brings total restoration. With all wisdom and understanding, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure which He purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times would reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The resurrection... (coughs) brings total restoration. A complete restoration brings something. A classic car, a necklace, a family heirloom, a family armoire brought back to its original state, its original beauty. And this is the work that God is doing. This is what He is up to. And it says here that it is a mysterious and creative work. We don't actually understand how it's possible because He's God. And he's doing something that we cannot even fathom. But when we look around, we can see things here on earth seem kind of mixed up to the way that they should be. They're not the way that they were intended to be. And if we're honest, things in heaven are actually kind of mixed up as well. There's a spirit war going on in heaven, we are told. Warfare is being waged on one another. Yet... All things are being united, it tells us here. Paul tells us they're being united in who? In Jesus Christ. Where? In heaven and on earth. God is uniting Jew and Gentile together in his body. And there has been this plan in motion from the very beginning, from the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were put in the garden and they were created in the very image and the likeness of God. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent, the enemy of God. From the beginning, God has been telling his people, been telling us, I am going to redeem my people. From the beginning, he's been saying, I am going to redeem my people. I am going to make all things new. And when we look at our text today, we get to look forward into the future as well. Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. The nation that is going to end up being Israel. And then, the seed of Abraham, the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the Christ, the one who is going to bring everyone together, to bring Jew and Gentile, people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Why seek the living among the dead? He's alive. And he's in the middle of a total restoration project. 
E, the resurrection was an exact plan. A, the resurrection was an adoption story. S, the resurrection was a sacrificial payment. T, the resurrection brings total restoration. E, the resurrection gives us eternal hope. Verse 11 says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything, in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. E, the resurrection gives us eternal hope. And we have here again, multiple times in this passage, this language of predestination. Language that is in the heart of the doctrinal stance that caused the Protestant Reformation. The idea here is of election, or in other words, a very unnatural selection process. In evolutionary theory, natural selection is when we talk about where the strongest survive, the smartest remain, and the best shine the brightest. This unnatural selection that's discussed here, this election process where God has handpicked everything and everyone for the purpose of His own will. It's neither by chance or by the arbitrary whim of some cosmic being. It's rather this mysterious, glorious, inscrutable love that God fixes upon unlovely people. On unlovely sinners and determines that He is going to save them through Jesus Christ. God decides to make a way for those who are neither holy or blameless by nature, that those are the ones holy and blameless in His sight because of what He has done through the cross, through the resurrection. If total depravity is a real thing, meaning if we are truly hopeless in our own strength, then the hand-picking nature of a loving God is the only hope that we may have for rescue. We would never choose Him otherwise, would we? We would never choose Him. We, we chose Him because He first chose us. And we've been on the receiving end of broken promises. We ourselves have made many, many promises that we have broken, that we have screwed up, that we have failed at. But in Christ, we have a secure hope, and it's in a secure Location. The resurrection gives us eternal hope. The resurrection was an exact plan. It was an adoption story. It was a sacrificial payment. It brings total restoration. gives us eternal hope and guarantees a rich inheritance. Verse 13, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked with him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. The resurrection guarantees a rich inheritance. Your inheritance is ultimately this. You get to know God. You get God. You have been reconciled to God. You've been reconciled to His people. You get Christ. You get to know Him. He knows you, and one day you will be with Him face to face. The beauty of His face is what we sing about. The inheritance ultimately is the blessings that flow 
to his children. This is the good news. This is the gospel message, the message of truth. Heaven, his children will be there, all of his children, from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, all unified as one. This is a rich inheritance. Some of you remember Drew Blackburn. He was on staff here a number of years ago. He's now working. He just says, I'm working in oil and gas. I don't entirely know what that means because we don't live in a place that works in oil and gas. But he told me a story one time that an old countryman who was living in Oklahoma in the early 1900s, and a guy like Drew approached him and asked him if they could survey his land to see if there was any oil or gas there on his property. What they found was the largest reservoir in the history of the United States at that time and even currently. At that point, it's literally under this man's house. And this old man becomes a millionaire overnight. However, think about this way. The night before, he was a millionaire. He just didn't know it. He just didn't realize it. You may be here this morning and you might be a spiritual billionaire and you just don't realize it. You just don't understand or recognize it. Why? Because the resurrection, the resurrection guarantees a rich inheritance. So in light of the resurrection, in light of Easter, E-A-S-T-E-R, who are you? Who are you? The disciples, they are standing in the fog that morning looking at the stone that has been rolled away. They arrive at the tomb that morning as nobody. A group of nobodies, that's really who they are. They are a ragtag band of followers. They've been riding on the coattails of this leader, this rising star, this Jesus of Nazareth. And because they are with him, they get noticed. Because they are with him, they have some prestige. And as far as they know, their friend, this leader, this Jesus, is dead. He's crucified, executed as an innocent man. A martyr? Yes, of course he is a martyr, but he is a dead martyr. But then the angel said, with lightning shooting everywhere around him as far as you could see, why are you seeking the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. And they remember the words of Christ and then they believed and immediately their identity Changed Immediately their inheritance changed. Immediately their hope was secured. All in light of the resurrection. In light of Easter. These disciples, these followers of Christ, they have a new identity. Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 17. says, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Who are you? We spend our lives searching for the answer to this question. Many students will take a gap year between high school and college or between college and when they start their career. So they want to go and find themselves. They want to find out who they 
are. As I talked about earlier, that, that time in my life was a finding of who I was. I experienced a lot of change in my life at 18. My identity was different when I left that base from the Marines than when I had arrived. I want to walk my kids through that. I want to tell them about that. I want them to know the stories about that. I often tell you stories here as a church about that season of my life. But my kids need to know. My church needs to know. My neighbors need to know. Something bigger than a chevron on my collar has happened to me. Something bigger than that is going on because I have been raised to walk, as baptism teaches us, in newness of life. I have a new identity. The old things have passed away. Christ has made me a new creation. All things are new. And because of Easter, you can have a new identity too. Jesus makes all things new. Jesus is alive. And in Christ, you have a new identity. As the band comes forward, we'll spend a moment together to finish our service together to sing a song named In Christ Alone. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you this question. A question that you need to ask yourself. Would you ask yourself this question? Am I in Christ? It's the most important question you can ever ask yourself. Don't wait till you go off to college. Don't wait till you get involved in the programs of this church until you get married or until you settle down and have children and decide to come back and try to answer that question later. Now is the time to do business with God. Now is the time. Do you know Christ? Who are you? Now is the time to know the living God through the saving power of Jesus Christ. If you are not sure, do not waste another moment until you are sure that your identity is found in Jesus Christ. If you want to reach out for that gift this morning that's being offered to you, Jesus tells us, says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There in your seat, simply by praying a prayer something like this where you first say, God, I'm a sinner. The Bible tells me that I cannot save myself. I believe it. The Bible says that you died on the cross for me. I believe it. And the Bible says that resurrection morning, Easter Sunday morning, you came out of the grave. You broke the bonds of death. And in doing so, Lord, that I can do the same and learn to walk in fullness of life with a new identity. Lord, I want that new identity this morning. I claim you, Jesus. If you ask yourself that question, are you in Christ? And you say, yes, I'm in Christ. Have you reveled in the riches of God in Christ. Meaning, have you thought about, understood, and believed in the inheritance that you have? There's great pleasure in this word revel. Reveling means that there's just a sweetness to the moment, a sweetness to understanding. Reveling in the blessings, the benefits of God that come to you from being in Christ. 
Have you lost the shock? Have you lost the wonder of what the resurrection has actually done? What just happened? Will you revel in that this morning? Have you missed the awe and wonder of Easter? Would you take the time today and reflect on this beautiful miracle that has taken place in your life? Lord, I pray that there would be some this morning who would want to be able to say from this moment forward, today was the day, Easter Sunday, 2022, that I have a new identity in Christ. Lord, there may be some here today that want to walk out, live differently, behave as though they had the inheritance right under their feet and live in the richness and the beauty that is yours. We love you, Lord. We pray for this transformation to happen in each of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed other of those prayers, you've got a connection card there in front of you. Uh, we do our best to interact with you, to talk with you, to be able to dig in a little bit deeper. If you prayed either one of those prayers, would you just write something down on a piece of paper, drop it in the back, just say, Pastor Milo, I'd like to talk more, I'd like to discuss more. I have a lot of questions. The disciples, they were with Jesus every single day and they had tons of questions. great power comes great responsibility. That's not in the Bible, by the way. With great power comes great responsibility. We hold within our hearts and our minds and our lives the most beautiful story, the most valuable riches in all of creation in Christ. Will you reveal those riches as you go today? The people of God, the church of Christ, we must be a place driven by and motivated by the riches of the gospel that would be tangible and available to everyone, everywhere, at any time. In just a few moments, you'll get up and you'll walk out of this place Easter Sunday, 2022. You will be entering the mission field. That is, it's your responsibility to go and reveal the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. Would you stand as we sing in Christ alone? He is risen. He is risen indeed.